Thanks for joining us today on Sling Talks. Christian Freed is joining us today. Christian is founding engineer here at Slingshot. Previously, he was the CTO at Parity, CTO at Elder, technical product manager at Google. He's been in engineering for a very long time. And so today we're going to be talking about engineering and AI, specifically the effects on software development of AI-driven software development. Uh, in other words, if AI can write code, that's got to change the world, right? So let's just jump straight in. Christian, welcome back. Let's kick off. Do you use Copilot? I do. I do, yes. What do you think? Um, I think it is a, a very useful tool. I would, you're giving away my age there. You know, I've been in this game for quite some time. I started in basic way back in the text editor, no ID, no support, no nothing. And having tooling and assistance, some form through ID is something that's been around for a while. Right? You have your intelligence sense, you have your syntax highlighting, you have your red squig list that shows you've been stupid somewhere. So um, it is a great tool, but it's more, in my mind, an evolution of things that come before it than something entirely new. Yeah, I, I talk about how much I love Kotlin all the time. And I think part of what's amazing about Kotlin is just the level of IDE support, the amount that just because JetBrains had such a crucial part in creating Kotlin, they've like really made it IDE centric. But I do think there has been a stepwise change with AI generated code. Can you just like talk a little bit about what AI generated code looks like today? Like what is the state of the world of AI writing software? Yeah, I think the one that most people talk about is Copilot. So if you're not familiar already, it's integrated in your ID, Visual Studio, IntelliJ, whatever you use. It is essentially a autocomplete on steroids. And one of the features that people use the most maybe is it also understands English because it's a language model, so it understands your comments. So often if you're not quite sure how to create a sorted list in whatever new language you're in, you type a comment out saying sort this list by date descending. And it will actually do that for you, which is often very handy, I think, in particular when you're not uh, using that specific tool day to day. Yeah, I personally, I've realized I write very little code now in terms of actually writing. Like my, Personally, my patterns for writing code have changed a lot, where if I want to write a specific function, I almost always just write comments and try to push Copilot in the right direction, make minor changes, add a comma, encourage it. Like I have an understanding of the underlying code, but mainly just in terms of speed, I find it so much faster to have Copilot write code. And I don't know about you, but I find the quality of Copilot written code, generally AI-generated code, to often be superhuman. Is that your experience? Or do you tend to, do you think you're better than AI? Uh, I'm definitely not as fast. Uh, and I agree with most of the time, you just, you know, tap, 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 and it does more or less what you want it to. It is interesting what you said, essentially the patterns that you follow now as a developer are productive in their own right. Like you add a comment before you start doing the code and yeah. it's a hint to the tool, but actually it's a really good way of also just thinking about the work and structuring things before you start tying. I would say that where it's most useful and productive is in creating things that maybe this is controversial, but maybe code that you shouldn't be writing in the first place. So if you want to implement, I don't know, a quick sort algorithm, it will do that for you, but you also shouldn't probably be implementing a quick sort algorithm. So what you're losing potentially is leveraging libraries, open source software. The even better solution than writing good code is to not write the code at all. I think there's something funny about actually like the difference between ChatGPT written code and Copilot written code in this way. Whereas with like a ChatGPT type agent, like that kind of approach where you're not just adding to the middle of code, you're generating code essentially from scratch, you do tend to find it using libraries. And I don't know about you, I've definitely discovered libraries this way. Recently, I was working with some audio machine learning use cases, which is not my expertise. And I discovered Librosa and learned completely how to use it just from ChatGPT. Yeah, I mean, do you tend to find yourself writing more code or less code, I guess, with Copilot in terms of like writing those quick sort algorithms and such? It really depends on the 
use case. I think um, if it's not necessarily just a language, but a framework that is unfamiliar to you, it's extremely useful because it's showing you the things that you didn't know existed in the first. Say it might be some OpenGL function you never heard of, but then you're learning. You're not just tabbing away and having it code quicker for you. Very true. Like using AI to learn. Exactly. And I can see that maybe in particular for people earlier in their career, where they're both learning how to think as a software developer, but also the basics of the syntax and the library functions and so on. So it is like a mentor or a coach that is sitting there looking over your shoulder and saying, maybe try this. Exactly. I have that experience. There is that flip side, though. There's like a really interesting discussion, especially around front-end frameworks, where when it comes to front-end, there are like a million libraries, right, that components and in front end in particular you often want to modify the components that you use especially add styling add slightly different functionality and i think there is a vision of the world like a divergent vision of one where ai that writes code is so good at knowing these frameworks that it like pops in components and your code becomes incredibly short and then the exact opposite point of view closer to the quick sort world you described where no one uses component libraries ever again because if there is some like you know some uh boilerplate code that you'd have to write you no longer feel the need to stand on the shoulders of giants and use libraries if you can just have all of the library AI written, almost like if you have a monorepo and you have you know a set of components, but yeah, instead of again, pulling in components from libraries, now they're entirely AI written. Do you think there's a world where people depend on fewer dependencies in a good way because AI can just write the entire dependency library from scratch? I can see that in the future. I think there are some technical limitations currently with context and things like that. It wouldn't be able to follow a cohesive pattern in the way that you ideally want it to. It's something about the effort of writing versus reading code as well. It's a, even though the tools may accelerate the writing part, it's still someone else's problem when it comes to fixing it to read all of the lines that have been generated. So yes, in the future, I think currently the net direction of this is probably that more mediocre code is being produced in more places overall. Interesting. So I was going to ask about you know timelines and the current status of the world. What you're saying is that AI makes it so fast to write code but no faster to read code. And as a result, more low quality code gets merged in and more code that might be buggy because no one bothered to read it because it was so fast to write. Yeah, there's the maintenance burden. There are things like security updates in some contexts. If you were to use a library that is maintained, they may alert you to the fact that you should upgrade because they fixed the problem. Even though the AI in principle could look at the same code again and say, hang on, this is not right. You wouldn't get that feedback. So I think maybe missing tools here, which are more of an ongoing, you know, let's inspect the code base overall and, and see how things should work, how we could improve them, rather than currently it's very much in isolation. It's right this function right here. What about AI for unit tests? Do you think that like you can't just have an AI write a component and then think through it step by step by writing its own unit tests? I think the realm of AI executing code overall is very interesting. So you can do that collaboratively now with ChatGPT, but also having that the proof generated for you. So you have a function with the associated unit test, or even just having the unit test written. And actually, you know, you want to have full control over the implementation, but you don't necessarily want to write the boring code to do with the unit test. So yeah, I can definitely see all of those cases being useful. Again, what it comes down to again is more in the current form, at least it's not you just hand it off to an AI and it does it for you. It's more of a collaborative experience. Yeah, I think you're right especially when it comes to complex things where like right now your step one might be like, hey, AI, here's my idea. What test cases do you think I should be thinking about? Okay, now can you convert that into a set of unit tests? Okay, now can you write code that, you know, fulfills the requirements of that unit test? Okay, your unit test failed. Can you try again and fix this bug and it becomes iterative? But it still is a way faster iteration process. And I wonder if you've had this experience. I know you're mentioning mediocre code. I think a lot of the time I find AI generated code to be at a higher quality than humans. Do you think that it's possible, feasible, likely that AI will just write
write better code than humans do? Long term, of course, yeah. I don't see any hard barrier on how good a coder an AI could be in principle. So the day will come where I'm no longer better than an AI. I'm slightly dreading, but also looking forward to that day. I know it will come for all of us. I think where we are now, I would agree that AI, it's essentially under the hood, more or less looking up the right stack of our question, pasting in the answer. Modified to your context with variables and whatnot, but it is learning from the best accepted, you know, best practices out there. And therefore, for a particular case, it is likely to be good code. The problem is when you look at the higher level of abstraction. And so it doesn't tell you that you should not be writing this function at all. Actually, what you're doing, the entire thing is wrong. (laughs) Or you should just be using library to not just solve this problem, the specific one you're asking for, but conceptually, right? This is not the right way. Especially, I was thinking about when it comes to like security, you know, writing authentication, like there are a lot of people who can now write an authentication library, write a cryptographic library, but you really shouldn't because the code available online that you're going to be copying is going to be nowhere near good enough. And like, just basically, please use a third-party service for this. Don't try to do cryptography yourself. I do think that's probably true or, you know, coming up with a very complex algorithm. That said, I think there is a flip side, which has been my experience. I think there's a big fundamental question in AI, which is like, if a language model is only trained on human data, can it ever get better than the human data upon which it's trained? And I actually tend to think that Copilot is the proof that it's possible. And the kind of like theory I would, I would posit is that the average code that someone would write, like if an AI is reading a lot of code, it's reading a lot of bad code, it's reading also good code. But writing bad code is kind of like further along the edges of a distribution compared to writing good code, which is somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like if you wanted to name a variable in the middle of a function, you could name it X, you could name it blah, you can name it foo or bar. But then there's usually some name that's kind of the most obvious, stupid name. It might be very verbose. It might be like, you know, IDs of all users before filtering or something. And it's like very stupid, very verbose, very obvious. And AIs will tend to output the most likely output. And as a result, I think a lot of the time we see the most average, the most median, the most obvious code imaginable, which tends to be way more readable and therefore better code than the kind of like sophisticated genius code where like the smartest developer on earth found a way to turn 10 lines of code into one line that no one could ever read. So I don't know if you've had this experience, but I tend to find especially variable naming is some like a huge strength of AI systems. Do you think that you know, there are like superpowers like this that AI might have that like you just humans, you know, even if we're better at a lot of other things, the higher level reasoning, just a lot of these superpowers, we could just never compete. I think it is in the current state, it's good in a different way, right? So it's not to your point about naming. It doesn't care about typing. Even with all the ID tooling that I have, if something is an extremely long variable name, even having to type it once, it's effort. So I might tend to do something shorter, abbreviate. That's one aspect of it. I think on the flip side, ironically, you know, we have a saying in software development that laziness is a virtue. You should do some simple things, you should automate things and so on. Yeah. But sometimes the best approach is just to do the stupid thing that requires some manual effort right now. And actually, this is where I find myself using ChatGPT, which is not the right tool conceptually. It's vastly overpowered for this, but I just happen to have some strings in some form and I want to make them into some strings in another form. And the best way is to do a switch case statement and it will do it for me. And this is perfectly readable. It is the right solution. I don't need anything more fancy. It's just very difficult. Not difficult. It requires a lot of effort for a human to do it. Yeah. And you mentioned like context windows. I would actually think if anything short in terms of our human context windows, we really struggle, right? Like we have the benefit of long-term memory more so than large models. We can remember everything in the code base. But when it comes to like reading 10 files, keeping all their contents in memory at once, we really struggle. And I think like if anything, when it comes to those, like I need to write a really complex if else statement, and it's going to have like a ton of nesting. Those are things that models can be way better at because they can actually keep 
every single element of the design in memory at once, take the whole thing into account because it looks at the whole text at once. Whereas humans, maybe we can keep like seven components in memory plus or minus two. We can't keep the whole thing in memory at once. So I guess, do you think those like switch statements, if else statements are some of those cases where AI is just going to way surpass humans? So actually in this case, it's more just about productivity, right? It's not that it's doing something more clever than, than you would have. It's just doing it and it doesn't mind doing it. And the simplest option is the right option. It is an interesting point when you talk about context window and you Yes, conceptually, an AI could read more code and keep it in memory at the same time. But also, if it needs to know the implementation details of 10 different files to do the thing it's doing, then you have a bad design. Yeah, that's fair. As opposed to, perhaps that's just a bad human design, though, right? Like, it could be... It's just a bad design for anyone, right? You, you have dependencies on things that you don't need. I mean, we come from this human-centric... I just meant, like, from a human-centric point of view, when you design code, part of the goal is to make it easy to keep in your mind, right? Keep it easy to understand. So maybe have like one template of what a service looks like, and then have a bunch of services that follow this pattern, so that all you need to know to write a new service is the archetype of a service, not how every single service is written. When it comes to how like Copilot will write, it doesn't have that archetype. So instead, it will look at 10 services, and then try to pattern match and figure out what the new service should look like. On the downside, that might mean that what seems simple to copilot is different than what seems simple to humans. But on the upside, it very well might be way more consistent than the way that a human would write. Maybe this is like a very simple one, but I wonder if there will be those emergent patterns where some code, like the one example in my head is nested if else statements. For a human, if I had a ton of nested if else statements, that is terrible code. No one can read it. No one understands it. But perhaps to an AI, that's like the most, like the easiest thing to understand on earth. And so I kind of wonder, will there be design patterns that to humans sound stupid, but to AI actually are like way simpler, way easier to understand, way safer, you know? It is an interesting question if we look ahead. So right now, good practice is to write code that is readable and understandable for other humans because they're going to be the ones updating it. So, yeah. But to your point, if we imagine that the next person isn't just a human, it is an AI-powered, AI-assisted human, then maybe it is more important that the code is understandable for the other machine than, than for the person. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess one dream here that I find really interesting is specifically around machine learning. So right now we're kind of talking about the world of AI eats software. This is kind of like the way that I conceive of this, which is like currently software eat the world. Software is really impactful. You're able to like automate a lot of systems. And we're entering a world where AI eats software, where when we write software, the vast majority of software is written by AI, even if it's assisted by humans in the short run. But I wonder if there sort of ends up being a flip here, which is like machine learning was created as a field because some instructions are way too hard to convey to explain how to perform an activity. So for a human, you can recognize what a dog is and what a cat is. But if I tried to write out a list of instructions to know what a cat is and what a dog is, that would be way too hard for me. But that might not be too hard for an AI, right? And I wonder, like, is there a world, just fantasizing here, because this is like fascination for me, is there a world where ultimately the most, not accurate per se, but the most efficient algorithms by far for detecting if something in an image is a cat or a dog is just this crazy, like, you know, one gigabyte file that's just full of a crazy number of if-else statements that ends up being incredibly accurate and incredibly performant, where in the end of the day, basically AI-generated code actually starts eating machine learning. I don't know, what do you think of this fantasy? I think to some extent we're already there. Now the specific paper escapes me, but there were some um, some inventions in the space of matrix multiplication, essentially that were 
discovered by AI. Um, so we're already in the domain where AI is making AI better and easier to train and so on. I think that's similar findings for protein folding is a more practical example, maybe, but the AI has just solved this problem that was assumed to be unsolvable and it's using its neural networks and matrices and it works, which is what matters at the end of the day, but it doesn't work in a way that a human would do it. Yes. Or another one is like OpenAI used AI to try to understand what's going on in specific neurons, I believe, in GPT-3. And that was like the craziest thing. Like, what if GPT-3 is completely unexplainable to a human, but to an AI, it's very explainable. And similarly, maybe even more so, what if some code is super unexplainable to a human just because it requires too many components to fit in your brain, but to an AI, it's like trivial, easy to understand, easy to build upon? Yeah, no, I think we're going to move into that space again. And security is something we touched on earlier. It may be that it's not the most performant code or most human readable, but it is the most easily AI provably secure code as a consideration in itself. So I can definitely see us going in that direction. What is interesting though, when we talk about the human machine interaction, there's a joke in the software industry that the software engineers are going to be made redundant when the client can explain what they want. So you always have or still have that need for a translation between a somewhat vague concept and specific sets of requirements or specific implementation, even if you're not writing code. I think that's true. But if anything, do you think that could be replaced before AI generating software? Like I definitely have the random conversations where someone says, I would love to build an app, you know, and it's going to do this, this and that. And like, that's the entire description. And then you can imagine, you know, I'm like, you really need a top notch software engineer, because you clearly don't know what you're building. And so you don't just need someone who can write code, you need someone who can take what you're saying and figure out what you're actually trying to build. Right now, I think that's already started to transition towards an AI world, where I can actually say I want to build, you know, blah, 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 in an app. And instead of just getting back a response to the series of questions, it's like, okay, here are three designs. Can you help me figure out which one of these you're actually trying to go for? I'd imagine like the landing page world here of like, you know, every startup builds a Stripe-like landing page. There's like one pattern, every startup tries to copy it. What happens if someone says, I want to build a landing page and an AI can creatively guide you down a process, possibly way better than humans, because it can actually create full designs almost instantaneously. It's like, all right, give me one minute and I'm going to give you three designs and then we can talk from there. Like, is there a world where we replace the top level architect before we replace the software engineer writing the day-to-day code? That's an interesting one. I think we see a similar relationship maybe in medicine, for example, where there are AI-assisted or AI-powered algorithms essentially for telling malign tumors from benign ones. And that's considered one of the, the highest jobs, if you like, in medicine. You need to be very experienced. You need to have a lot of training. Whereas if you're, let's say, an orderly in a hospital, or you're a nurse, but we don't have anything that will do those jobs. So it's not necessarily the case that it's going to start from the bottom, if you want to put it like that. I would say, though, that the need for translation is still going to be there in some form. It may not be what we consider, again, the most abstract architect in the ivory tower that is needed, but you need that person that has a combination of empathy, understanding for humans as well as the tech. I guess you and I can disagree on this one because I think that's exactly what AI is really damn good at, like right now. I think we can do better. I think as humans, we can do better. I'm not saying eventually it's not going to happen, but yeah. So it's an interesting, I think the world where you mentioned like the radiography kind of analogy, and I think there is this world where like the top level is run by an AI and then humans become almost like delegated entities where like maybe you assign to a human or you can almost imagine like an AI agent that knows that it can't write software design maybe. It can't do the high-level architecture, but it does know that it's solvable and it knows who can solve it. And it knows that that person bills at $100 an hour. So it goes and finds that person and pays them $100 an hour for five hours to write out the design, consume it, and then assign you know five software engineers who get paid very little somewhere in the world to do the specific things that it specifically can't do. And again, like, 
you know, with AI automation. I guess there's this, there is that question of like, when it comes to AI written software, which elements are the ones that are automatable? And we're debating both sides. There's like the really hard parts are automatable and the really easy parts, quote unquote, the like writing day-to-day code is automatable. I'm less and less convinced that there are elements that are not automatable. In fact, like, I know that you're talking about translation, but if anything, is that a software engineer or is that like a different job? More like the orderly you're mentioning at the hospital. I think as with many jobs, it's going to be maybe the same title, but a different shape of responsibilities. And even looking at what, a, you know, there's been a number of different titles applied to the same job, a programmer, a coder, a software developer, a software engineer, what they actually do now versus 20 years back, it is quite different. And the skill set is much more focused on actually empathy and collaboration and project management. And it's not not just about can you write super fast C code that runs on 64 kilobytes, right? So yes, the requirements have changed and will change. I think the levels of abstraction or which level you're working at day to day might be different. But yeah, I still think there's this hope and need for humans for the next, let's say, five, 10 years. So you think there's room for humans to compete? For the next decade, let's say, yes. For the next decade, hard to predict past that, that's fair. There's also the risk challenge here, which is like, is there additional risk generated from AI-generated code? If AI continues to accelerate at the current pace in terms of generating code, today you mentioned some risks around an AI writing code that gets merged in that's low quality. No one bothered to read it because it was so quick to write. And it was literally faster to write than to read. So is there, I think, like, do you imagine like a huge level of risk that could be even a blocker to progress or just something like an existential threat to a lot of companies if huge amounts of code bases are increasingly written with AI? I think there are definitely risks on a number of levels. And yes, there will be, this is my prediction, there will be companies that launch a prototype very quickly and get some customers and then realize this, that they have a system that sort of works, but not quite. And they need to take a break and get some more money and redo the whole thing, which to be fair, happens a lot even with, with humans. <laughs> it's not just the AI-assisted coding, but there are always compromises, I think, regardless of whether it's an AI doing it or a human, between doing something that looks like it's doing sort of the right thing quickly and doing something that actually works and is maintainable for the long term. So that's one. I think we talked again a few times earlier about security, more specifically when it comes to risk. And that's not just, you know, hackers and, and authentication. It's also resiliency. It's how do you keep your data in a way you don't corrupt it over time and many things like that that are only seen as important when it's too late. I spoke not long ago, actually, to a security engineer at Google here in New York who was telling me about his job. And he was being a bit facetious, but he described his job as, I read through a lot of code and I find vulnerabilities. And his main intuition was like, we have a lot of code. We do not have room to have everyone reading through every bit of code in depth. And this job seems very automatable. So I wonder, like, I know you mentioned today there's no process of AI reading code, AI auditing, AI improving code. Is that just like a tiny roadblock? Like, I can't imagine there's something that substantial blocking us from having AI that just reads through your code all night long and finds those kind of security vulnerabilities? And if so, does that just mean this is a very temporary potential risk? This is something I really want. I think beyond the current form of generative AI, I want to have someone that is just checking not just for you know security vulnerabilities, but overall being that omniscient person looking over the shoulder right, that can say, well, you seem to have a service here doing something like what this other service is doing. Maybe they should be one and the same. I think technically the limitations come to context length. Or maybe I should have said that before they released a new GPT-4 which has 128,000 tokens. Was that like 300 pages, they say? Which is a lot. Not to mention, I mean, it's going to be expensive to feed the whole thing in and who knows if you get the right results, but there have to be follow-ups to this 
that, you know, introduce more long-term memory. Like, I think you're right that there are some fundamental blockers there, but it just seems like if context length is the blocker, that just seems like such a small blocker. Yeah, no, I'm sure this is solvable. And I think the applications in security and also just you know, overall software health, there are a lot of tools, of course, already for static code analysis and having redundant code or unit testing coverage and that sort of thing. But having a proper AI-assisted superpower, you know, superhuman version of this that is running everything end-to-end in its head overnight every day, I'd pay good for money for that. Yeah, we were talking about this before. A few days ago, my brother published an article at Sequoia about the next billion developers. And he actually like contrasts it with AGI and says, what if the impact of the next billion developers is as big as AGI? Or more of like, maybe it'll happen first. Yeah, what's your vision for the next billion developers? Uh, we may have a billion developers, but not at the same time, anytime soon. <laughs> I think maybe in the future. I think there are two sides to that argument or two aspects of it. On the one hand... If we do have AGI anytime soon, I don't see the need for DevOps. All of the things I've talked about comes with the caveat that when we have true superhuman intelligence, of course, they can code better than a person, by definition. And on the flip side, I don't think there's any real need or any incentive for the world to spawn a billion of someone doing a job that's going to go away soon and be redundant. I think the automation steps that we've taken already means that as an individual developer, you can be more productive. It's not entirely redundant yet to be a software engineer, but you're definitely super powered as an individual with the tools that we have available. And I think even the billion developer argument seems all about capacity, basically. It's like, we need more capacity. There's so much more to be done. And I think it's probably true, especially if you imagine all of the algorithms, like imagine if you had 10 gigabytes worth of code running inside of a self-driving car. I don't know if I can communicate just how absurdly much code that would be. You know, a kilobyte of code is a thousand characters. So, you know, a thousand lines of code as well, like something on the order of 10 kilobytes. If we imagined, you know, 10,000 times that amount running in a car, you can imagine a lot of code being written. You can imagine the growth of capacity having a massive difference in how the world runs. But it seems like the capacity element is exactly what's being replaced, right? Like the element of like, we just need to throw more hands at this. The estimated people who use Copilot have, I think, 46% of their code now written by AI. That's after like one year of Copilot really being a thing. I can imagine the capacity argument making a lot of sense. It's almost impossible for me to imagine that, that would be human capacity. Like if we were to say 1 billion developer equivalents makes a ton of sense to me, but 1 billion actual human developers, that yeah seems incredibly far-fetched to me. Yeah, I do agree. And I think it's also down to, again, we're standing on the shoulder of giants, right? In any industry, but in the software industry, maybe more because it's possible to move so quickly. We're not constrained by anything physical. You know, need to build it bridge in order to, you know, um, drive cars across something. Except for GPUs. Except for GPUs right now, yes. But even compared to what you can do on one GPU now versus five years ago, 10 years ago, we're getting all of that for free, right? So it's all of the contributions of everyone that's ever done open source development in the past or has done some research in the past or hardware development in the past or any of these adding up in a way that isn't just additive, like it's multiplicative. Absolutely. I'm also thinking about the sort of human robots element here where we're talking about like what happens if AI becomes sort of the leader and there is more capacity. There's kind of an interesting world here that Replit is like envisioning. Founder of Replit talks a lot about AI-generated code. They have their own model. They also have like a new scheme where people can put projects online and let any developer anywhere build some amount of code. So I would say like, I want code that does XYZ. Anyone can build it. And Replit also like increases the ease of getting into coding. So now someone anywhere in the world can write code from their phone to actually fill this. The pattern here is looking increasingly like human robots, though, where you do have some assumption of like someone creates the project, someone decides what needs to be built, and then someone else builds it. And it really doesn't matter who they are. 
are. So the capacity helps. But then, you know, I think the long term strategy here is like really obvious, which is now that we have a set of prompts, which is like, here's what I want you to build. And then we have labeled data, which is like someone got paid $100 and broke this code, we can easily train a model on that data and replace those human robots. So those human robots, for however long they exist, are just, you know, fulfilling essentially like a non creative task that will ultimately get replaced and get replaced by AI. But at the same time, like, even if they're not in the short term, the prompts themselves can also be written by an AI. So you end up in this weird world of like, is the next billion developers just sort of a framing of like the next billion robots, essentially, like if we are just thinking in terms of capacity. And if so, if those are human robots, they're going to be the first people to be replaced. If anything, I think this like next billion developers framing is like a perfect argument for why the value of AI is so absurd. Like you think about how much a developer gets paid, and then you think about what it would mean to have a billion more developers in terms of AI capacity. That seems to be like enough to justify all AI investment collectively, right? It's definitely going to be enough ROI, even in terms of just the applications in software development, for sure. I would say if you have, you know, in the short term, it might be the most efficient way or cheapest way to have someone somewhat junior doing something that is not too difficult, and you get what you want to get. But imagining we have a number of use cases that are identical across businesses, it used to be that having a website was difficult. You needed to hire someone at new HTML and could do all of these obscure things. And that, that's not a thing anymore. We have things like Squarespace. We have whatever you need at the click of a button in terms of purely commoditized solutions like that. So point of this being something that could be easily done by lots of people can either be solved by AI in terms of automation or actually by providing a platform, a solution that just does the thing for you. Right? Yeah, it's the hierarchical multiplicative element of like, if we just wrote way more code, we would have a lot more tools for writing way more code. And so you'd need to write less code on top of the foundational level. I think that the exponential nature here really creates the effect also, which is like, it's way easier to build a website than it used to be. But how much easier can it get if we just had like a thousand times more code that helps you build websites? Or build a business. Or build a business. Not just a storefront, build a business. Have the AI CEO, why not? Are you envisioning like fully AI-driven companies? People are trying already. There are agent versions of GPT where they said, here's $100, go and you know, do something to make money. Uh, I don't think it's been overly successful so far, but yes, it's going to happen for sure. Awesome. Curious if you, just to close up, if you were recommending to a new developer, if you were talking to someone who is new to coding and they're growing up in a very different world than anyone even two years ago, given AI-generated code, what would your recommendations be in terms of like what to focus on, what tools to use? I think if you're just starting out and the choice of language is important, don't, whatever you do, go to C++. <laughs> uh, pick one of the mainstream high-level languages like JavaScript, TypeScript, or Python. Uh, if you're interested in AI. Not Kotlin. Not as your first one. I think Kotlin is an amazing, practical, productive tool for software development professionally. But uh, I wouldn't say that's the best way to learn. Yeah, I agree. Python, TypeScript. Easy. And talk to people. Talk to ChatGPT, but talk to people as well. Talk about code, show them your code, read code, do code reviews on public GitHub repositories, look over the shoulder of everyone in the industry to, yeah, learn from what they do and what's good and what's bad. I think that is a really good framing. And I actually, it's funny when you think about someone new getting into this, that if all you do is talk to AI, we're talking about like the sci-fi elements, like how much AI can do, especially for great developers and how much it will be able to do as it gets better. But we are still almost certainly in some local minimum where there are still intrinsic limitations in AI 
And there is sort of like the risk factor of if you're a new developer and you only rely on AI, and AI is just not perfect yet, it's nowhere near that, do you end up in like a local minimum of only knowing the libraries that the model is aware of, only knowing those patterns the models where like, and that's kind of where if anything, like right now, the value is probably like accelerate your learning using AI tools, but like really try to get past the threshold of what AI is able to achieve now, because that's the only place you'll be able to add value. Or I don't know, would you recommend people, you know, just don't go into software at this point? I don't know if I would recommend it as a career for anyone that is, you know, considering where to go to university. But on the flip side, I don't know what I would recommend. <laughs> I don't think there are any long-term safe options necessarily. There will be need for people that are creative, that are intelligent, that are able to think outside the box and work with others to solve problems. Technology or specifically software may be a tool in that toolbox. But if I was, let's say, 15, 16 now and thinking about the future, I would think about the things that are definitely going to be important rather than any specific tool set. What did you study in college? Uh, computer science. Uh, Very stereotypical. Right. Yeah. So would you uh, study something different today? Personally, I loved it. I think it's a very good fit with just how my brain works, right? It's not for everyone. Whether I would currently see that as the best way of having a safe and productive career going forward, but probably not. Maybe there's some element here of like computer science is fun. I studied philosophy and math. Neither one of those were all that useful. Both of them were a ton of fun. Great ways to exercise the mind. I do, I mean, I loved coding since I was a little kid. And I do think there is a, you know, an interesting one of like, would you still write code if you didn't have to, right? If AI actually could write code, would you do it anyway? I'm like fairly sure that I would. I don't know about you. I would. The fact that Go is beaten and chess is beaten doesn't mean I can't enjoy it with the game. So yes, no, I would. Exactly. It's almost uh, like a more exciting way to think about it. Like what if you should go into computer science and you should learn how to code, not because it's useful, but because it's great. <laughs> and it might also be useful. It is. It is. Awesome. Anyway. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Super excited to see where AI-generated code goes. This has been Christian Fried on what is the future of AI-generated code. Again, we're Slingshot. We're a model studio for generative AI. If you're working on a high-value generative AI use case, please feel free to reach out. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.